Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what is Mike Time? Mike Time is a set of short stories that have happened throughout my lifetime, experiences of mine throughout my lifetime, that have taught me lessons that I hope will be of value to you. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, deliver advice that sharpens your focus, as well as providing expert information regarding real estate, finance, and market conditions. So Drew Carroll, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience. As we talked about before, this is, a, this is we believe that everybody has a story, including you, and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, we're going to start at the very beginning of your life. Where were you born? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Mike. Um, where was I born? I was born in Minden, Ontario, okay. 1986. Minden, Ontario is a small town. It's about three hours north of Toronto. Um, when I was born there, I believe the population was 3,000. We didn't even have our own school. I actually had to school bus to the town neighboring us uh, to go to high school in Halliburton. So a small town. Yeah, very small town. So did you grow up there? I did. Yeah, I was there until I was uh, 18 years old. Okay. So what was your favorite thing about growing up there? Favorite thing about growing up there? Um, well, that's that's an interesting question. Hmm. I would say in retrospect, like looking back, I don't know at the time, I definitely can't say that uh, I thought of this, but looking back, what I would say is that I, I really liked the small town feel and the how personable it was, right? right. It's very different. I've, I've lived in a lot of cities since then. Um, and nothing beats the small town, like driving through town, waving and seeing your neighbor, stopping at the store and knowing the people by name, you know, you know, having your, your coffee order ready for you type of thing. Right. Um, there was nothing better than that. And my, both of my parents owned businesses in that town as well. So my father owned a body shop and my mother ran a daycare out of her house. So needless to say, they knew everybody in the town. Absolutely. Um, and I definitely miss that. So my dad's been a body man for 60 years. I didn't know we had that in common. That's so funny. Yeah. Owns an auto body shop. Yeah. And what his entire life is my grandfather started at GM oh, uh, wow. until he saved himself enough money to open his own shop. That's cool, man. What a great mm. story. So you graduate from high school. Then where do you go? Yes. So I didn't want to go to university. Uh, I don't, again, not really sure why as a young kid, I was just very much against it. I couldn't understand why everybody would go into all of this debt when they didn't even know what they wanted to do with their lives. Yeah, good point. Figure out what I want to do first before making that investment. Not that I ever did. Um, but that was my thought at the time. So what I did was during high school, I worked at a grocery store store. Mm -hmm. Um, and I worked in the meat department, so I would actually cut meat, uh, through the summers and whatnot, um, and help clean up after schools during the school year. And when I graduated, what I found out, cause I was going through my options, what to do next. And there was obviously trade school. And one of the trade schools was to become a retail meat cutter. 
Awesome. And I was like, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. So I was kind of looking at the requirements and there was only 4,000 like block hours is what they call it. The time on the block cutting meat. You'd only need 4,000 of practical and then a three month like in school portion. And so I was looking at this and I was like, well, that's interesting over the last few years, like I've been cutting meat. I have, I have my 4,000 hours already. And this is at the graduation of grade 12. So I graduated, I signed up for the schooling. I went and did the schooling that summer. So at the end, after graduating high school, the end of that summer, I was a fully licensed retail meat cutter, which is kind of interesting. And, um, but it was great because it was, it was basically a guaranteed job. Everywhere always needs a meat cutter mm-hmm. and the money was good. I remember at the time, I was making $20 an hour when I was 18 years old, which at the time was was pretty good. This is a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so that was my ticket. That was my ticket into the small town. So I, I did that. I moved uh, to a city nearby where most of my friends actually went to university, um, hung out with them in their dorm rooms and, and kind of bounced around jobs cutting meat. That's cool, man. Yeah. So So how long did you cut meat? For how many years? Yeah, so great question. 10 years, over 10 years cutting meat. So I probably started when I was 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. When I was 28, I'd actually, so when, as a meat cutter, I moved to Ottawa. And when okay. I was in Ottawa, there was a small uh, grocery chain. They had 10 stores at the time, very much like Whole Foods. So a very organic, fresh meat type of grocery store. And I got yeah. in there. Um, and I was promoted to some of their new store builds to be the meat managers. So I was meat manager for quite some time. I don't know if you'd call me a, a, a meat cutter when you're a manager. Yeah. Like only a, <laughs> it's kind of a joke. You don't cut a lot of meat as a manager. But um, <laughs> you do when you have to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember getting asked when the company uh, expanded to southern Ontario. They asked me to go down uh, and open some stores with them. And I was promoted to the retail specialist. So as the meat specialist for the district of stores, and then event when I was 28 years old, I was given my first grocery store. So I would wow. say, yeah, I would say at 28 was when my meat cutting days were over. Uh, I was essentially just running a store at that point. There you go. So I actually worked in in grocery, and yeah. I used to they the the um, truck drivers went on strike one summer, yeah, and all the managers had to leave, and I ended up cleaning the meat department every day. So every every night I'd come in in the in the middle of the night and I would clean it all up and get it all spick and span for them That's to so come funny. to work the next day. So I never cut any meat, but I certainly cleaned the floors. <laughs> yeah, you got yeah, the 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 worst job of it all, cleaning yeah. the floors and cleaning out the bone cans. Yeah. It really, to be honest with you, it was humbling, right? Because it's one of those, it's one of those things. It's it's the it's the one job nobody wants right and i ended up with it yeah so it was it was crazy so it was fun i mean i learned a lot you know and all that and and i you know like you said i was 18 years old i was making a bunch of money making way more than any other 18 year old was making at the time so um yeah it's quite an experience so um so you so you so you're running a meat department and how long did you do that First, it was first few a few years. I think I was a meat manager for five years or so, meat specialist for a couple of years, and then a grocery manager or a store manager for a few years. Um, trying to watch. That was the store manager now. gig. Store manager gig was interesting. It was definitely a, a pivotal moment for me. Uh, it was really interesting going from having no interest in management 
to becoming a meat manager and having a team like a department of 13 people yeah. to becoming a store manager when you have 97 employees. Like culture like, shock, right? Yeah, that's a huge <laughs> culture culture shock. Um, but it was amazing. It was, it was, I loved it. Oh. I loved having a team of people working for me. Uh, I took management and leadership very, very seriously. <laughs> I also, I was also the youngest store manager in the company. So yeah. it was very motivating. It, it, that very much motivated me to be the best in what I did. Um, so I did that for about four years, I want to say ish. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's kind of where, where the crisis of conscience normally comes for most entrepreneurs. I think uh, when you get to a point where you're making decent money, but you're sitting at home going, well, I just worked another 70 hour week. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I put in 70 hours for something that I want for myself, right. what would the payoff be for that? And yeah. uh, that's, that's definitely where I got, um, you know, having run, having, you know, almost a hundred employees managing at the time, I was in a very small store, but mm -hmm. the store was doing over 13, it was doing $250,000 a week. So it was doing $13 wow. million dollars a year. Oh my yeah. goodness. So it's interesting, you know, people like to talk about statistics and whatnot. Um, when they don't fully understand them. But, you know, the the stat that I had in my head was 50% of small businesses go out of business. So I'm thinking to myself, that's pretty easy then. All I need to do is be in the 51 percentile right. to be a successful business owner, right? Right. Like, I don't look at that as a negative thing. That To me, that looks like a massive opportunity. Now, if I only have to be in the 51st percentile to be successful as, as a business owner, I already have 100 employees that I'm managing. I'm right. managing over $13 million a year in, in an industry with a gross margin of 2.3%. Right. So the margins don't get any tighter than that. They're slim, baby. <laughs> right. And so then I'm going, well, then why the hell have I not done this yet? Like, yeah. I must be in the 51 percentile if, if you know, I have these things under my belt. If this is based off every, every Tom, Dick, and Harry who's registered in LLC, 50% of them are successful. I must be a part of that group. And that's, you know, that's kind of what pushed me over the edge thinking like that and kind of being overworked, I think at the time um, into, into finally leaving retail and starting my own company. Did you ever sit down? I did. And that's why I'm asking, did you ever sit down when you were in management and think I worked 70 hours this week and I made this much, which translated to $4 an hour. This isn't working <laughs> for me. Right. Or I mean, yeah. you know, some number like that, right? And you look at the number and you're just kind of like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, my right? my company had that beat. 50% of your salary was in bonus. Oh. So if you're to ever dare tease yourself with such a thought experiment, um, my my district's response would essentially just be, well, if you hit bonus, you'd be making double that. Yeah. So that would be that would be the the the, the response to everything. Well, um, but they made damn sure that you weren't going to hit bonus. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Man, that's wild. So you so you have that crisis of conscience. You decide to go into business for yourself. By the way, I love the mentality of 50%, right? This The glass is half full kind of thing, right? Yeah. You've learned on the company. You know, the company's taught you a ton about management, a ton about business, a ton about how to run it and do it right, right? Yeah. And now it's time to take that and your energy and your desire and go off and do something that is for you and for your family. And that's that's just an amazing way to look at it because there are a lot of people out there and some of them may be listening to this podcast that actually think the other way, right? Yeah. 
And that's something that they need to work on. That's something that they need to look, they need to look deep inside and figure out where that comes from and figure out a way to fix it. Right. Yeah. If they're going to be successful is what I'm getting at. So we're all about inspiring and motivating people. And we know that your story is going to inspire and motivate people that connect with you. Right. Like they may have a dad that had a body shop like ours did. Right. Yeah. They may have, they may have been in the grocery business like we were, they may have, you know, clean the meat, the meat room floor. I don't think I've ever told anybody that before, right? That's so funny. But they may have, they may have actually cleaned the meat, the meat department before, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so you just, so you make the, you make the decision to, to take the leap. Tell us how that comes about. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think a couple of things. So I think I, I definitely spent a lot of time doing thought experiments on numbers. Um, so, so that 50% definitely played a large part into it. I think too, what people should think through more, and I am not like an, I'm against university or I'm against post-secondary or anything like that. I think that it's absolutely right for some people and absolutely not for others. But absolutely. I think what people need to do is not just take random social media headlines as truth, right? Yeah. So like everybody's scared that about 50% of business is failing. Well, no, there's a positive side to that, but let's look at the let's look at the other side. Like, say this experiment is if you're in high school, I can leave high school, become an entrepreneur with a 50% success rate, or I could apply to universities. I could then hope put in the work to pass university and get a degree, and then hope that that degree actually gets me a job. So, what right. if you play that through? What if you say only 80% of people that apply for university actually go to university? So now, just graduating high school from day one, only eight out of 10 people are there. Right. Now let's say 75% of them graduate, which I think I'm being incredibly gracious at that point. I think so too. So now only six out of that original 10 have now graduated with the degree. And now what percentage of people with the degree actually get a job with that degree? With that is degree less than in half. that specialty, right? Right, is right. less than half. Right. So three out of 10 people that chose the university route actually made, actually it was fruitful for them or 55 out of 10 for entrepreneurs. So it's just kind of funny. People like don't look at it all the way through and go, well, actually starting your own business is the easier path. Um, Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Find that people don't look hard enough. In regards to what specifically? In regards to finding a positive, right? Yes. Like, I believe, and I, and I think you do too, or I believe you do, that if you look hard enough at any situation, you can find a positive. Like I, that's what you did when you did these numbers. Yeah. And I think, I think personally that that is the number one trait of being a successful entrepreneur yeah. is to be able to find that positive because honestly, I think that's what our job is. That's all, that's yeah. all it is. I don't, I don't know about you. Maybe I do it wrong, but I wake up every morning to 40 Slack messages and emails. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody on my team and every one of my clients, if, seems like complaining about something being broken. Mm -hmm. I then get to spend my day fixing everything that's broken yeah. until I get to wake up tomorrow to find out what's broken again before I get yeah. to fix it. My entire job is reframing situations for my employees so that they stay motivated and then fixing functional issues within my company and so that the wheels don't fall off. That's it. That's, that's I it. I hope everybody's listening to this. I hope they're listening to this and I hope they're taking note. Because that's really what this is about, right? I own one of the largest real estate companies in North America, okay, for 18 years. And I did the exact same thing. I woke up every morning and I had tons of messages. I had tons of issues. I had tons of challenges. 
I had tons of things that were flying at me all the time. And you've got to be able to maintain that mindset of a yeah. problem solver, right? But you've also got to be able to maintain the mindset of somebody who is figuring out a way to make it a positive, yes. right? Because to a lot of people, it looks like Armageddon, right? To a lot of people, they look at it and it's the end of the world. And it's a printer that doesn't work, right? Or it's right. A, you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's it. We call them coffee pot issues, right? Yeah. They just are, and and it's it's it was unbelievable to me how many people did not look at it in terms of okay, how do we solve it and then move on so that we're productive with the rest of our day? Their day just stopped, like they yeah. just stopped, and they couldn't do anything or see any way to do anything until somebody came in like you or like me and solved it, yep. right? And then we ask them a question. So what are you going to do with the rest of your day? And then they look at you like a deer in the headlights, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, this is this is something that I think is incredibly important. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted you to be a guest on here. I know for a fact that there are people out there, Drew, that need to hear your story and need to hear the way that you tackle things. Because you have such a can-do attitude. I mean, you brought me in to lead Zolo because of your can-do attitude. Like I literally, I went to I went to one of your, you don't know this, but I went to one of your webinars cool. and I left thinking, I have got to be in business with this guy. I've got to figure out a way. And I did. It took me a couple of months, but I figured out a way to get into business with you because of your can-do attitude, man. You completely won me over. And I, awesome. and I felt, I felt, and I told, um, I told Jason this too. I felt this sort of kindred spirit about you. Like we connected, man. And That's you and awesome. I had never talked face to face. It yep. was just, it was just the way that you did what, what you did and the way you do what you do, the approach that you bring to it. You with me? Yeah. And it really resonated with me. And that's one of the reasons why we're working together. By the way, full disclosure, I am a client of yours. <laughs> right. I'm also a huge fan, right? So, so, so you decide to take the leap. You decide to get into it. You decide to to give it everything you've got, right? Take us through that mentality. So we've got the 51% thing. So yeah. take us through the next steps. What happened next? Once you made the decision and you went forward. Sure. Well, it was it was um definitely impulsive, I will say, when I finally did make the decision because I just literally got to a point where I couldn't imagine working any more than I was. Right. I remember sitting on the porch uh, um, with a with a scotch in hand going, I need to figure out what I meant to do because yeah. I'm stressed. I'm not happy with this. Right. I know I need to make a change, but I can't. I don't have any space. I don't have any time to even think through what the right choice would be. Right, because you're running like this, right? Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any fire. time to like, critically think about anything i spend every moment of every day in this firefighter mode right i'm just right. reacting to shit all day yeah. long so i went to work next day and i gave my notice and that was that i was just said this was it i will i had to have the confidence in myself that i would figure something out yeah i had the confidence in my resume that i could pick up another job i had a little bit of money in a savings account not a lot but it was just like i need to get away from this so i can get some space to figure out what it is i meant to be doing what it is that I'm passionate about, what it is that I would wake up every morning and do even if I wasn't getting paid for it. Because right. if you can answer that question and you can figure out how to do that while getting paid, then you you haven't made. Yeah, I agree. So, so that's that's where I went. And then I spent a lot of time 
thinking about it. A lot of time thinking about what I loved and what I really, really enjoyed was learning about media buying, advertising, marketing. Uh, that I found very, very interesting. Spent a lot of time trying to get clients, which is not very easy when you're starting your first business. Um, I remember my wife got pregnant at the same time that I quit my job, as, as it happens, as it happens. <laughs> Um, and I remember we were, my wife goes into labor, um, we actually got induced. So we're in the hospital and the time I had one client and the client was paying, I think it was $3,000 a month. So it was, it was good. Right. It was like, okay, I can live off of this. Like I can pay my rent basically. Right. So I'm making three grand, but I couldn't imagine like we're, we're there. And, and I just couldn't imagine like that was going to address my life. I'd spent three or four months just finding that one client. And I was kind of giving up on belief. I remember sitting there, my wife had just given birth. My daughter was in the NICU. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were just kind of sitting there and I was getting, I was on a phone doing a phone interview for 911 dispatch. Yeah. Thinking yeah. that I was going to have to go back and get a full-time job. job. Yeah. I, I just had the one client. And I remember getting off of that phone I remember two more days, my, my baby girl's still in NICU. We finally gather everything and we get home and I got the call back um, that I got this job. And I remember just sitting there going, what, what's the fucking difference right Right. now? I have a kid and now I'm going to sell all of my time now. And I'm going to go back to what I was not happy at before was just me and my wife. And now I have a kid. Like, I can't do that. That's yeah. to me, that's not being a father. That's not being responsible. I don't think making dollars is a responsibility of a father. I think facilitating a household of a, and a loving family is what being a father truly is. And for me, that was a bit creating some space and some time. So that was it. That was the moment the lighter got fire got lit under my butt. The next day, I did all my cold outreach to find more clients. I applied to every single digital marketing agency that I could that day because I was determined to at least even get a job in the industry so I could at least learn it. Right. The next day, I got a call back from who's now my partner who hired me that day. Um, so I had my one client. I was working for an agency. I obviously worked my way up and um, became partners with the owner of that. Um, but yeah, that's what I had to do. It was I had to have a real my my kick in the butt moment didn't come till after i quit um but but it had to come before i i really started moving isn't that amazing how having a child just crystallizes things i mean all of a sudden we had our first baby and it completely rocked my world like i literally they handed him to me we got induced too and we had a and he came by c-section they handed him to me in the operating room and he was super chill right he's just like my wife he's just super chill (laughs) And, and like, not, not crying, nothing. He just looked at me like, what's next? Hi, dad, what's next? Right. And I got this chill, man, from head to toe, because I realized that I was massively violating a promise I had made to myself when I was a kid. And that was that my dad's business, his body shop ran him. Okay. I made a promise to myself that I would run my business, not the other way around. Okay. And I literally spent the next three days because we had to be in the hospital for three days with a C-section, right? My, my wife yeah. did. I spent the next three days, Drew, just working out, okay, if I move home, if I don't go to the office every day, I, I carve out three hours, okay? If I use a courier service, I carve out another two per day. If I just, and I literally, before we left that hospital, I had carved out eight 
extra hours a day, man. Yeah. Now all of a sudden I was, and I was still working, you know, 70 hours a week, but all of a sudden I now was making way more dollars per hour. And I had the flexibility of taking that brand new baby boy and taking him out in a stroller to go look at the, at the birds in the middle of the day. Right. That I didn't have before having a baby just it. I don't even know how to explain it, man. It, you, yeah. It's hard to put into words and it just how they affect you. You it, know, how becoming a dad affects you. It it contextualizes life as it far really as I'm concerned. Does. You know, pe- people talk a lot about finding your 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 purpose. And, and and I mentioned this earlier too, and finding that one thing that you love, but people what people miss is that like when people are talking about that, I don't like I don't mean anyways, I don't mean you need to go maybe it's an auto body job and like my father doesn't wake up dying to get into the paint shop right right? i don't i don't wake up dying to look at ad accounts i very much enjoy it but like like a a great chef doesn't wake up every morning dying to go cook food right Right. your purpose doesn't have to be the physical thing that you're doing with your life right the thing that you're doing with your life just needs to support your purpose right for me my purpose was my kid and I think for most of us that that is actually true. I think a lot of us don't uh, don't kind of deny it or are trying to think that they should have a better purpose. Like like I heard somebody having a purpose to stop all child trafficking. That's the kind of purpose I need to have. No, that's a great purpose. But like right. you could just have the purpose to be a good dad. Right. And maybe that means that you're working a job that's low enough stress that you're not taking your shit home with you. Right. But being paying you enough and giving you enough time freedom that you get to show up to be the person that you want to be, then that's it. Then yeah. I found my purpose and I found the perfect job for my purpose. It doesn't mean that I'm on cloud nine every moment that I'm at work. Yeah. It and you don't have to be I'm happy all the time, right? You don't have to, <laughs> like you said, you don't have to be in a place where you can't wait to get to work, right? But you wake up grateful, okay? Yeah. And then you kiss and hug those babies, right? And now you now your purpose is reinforced, Okay. And it's yeah. a big, I, I am a huge proponent of parenting, of being a father. I'm passionate about being a dad. My, my kids are now 23 and 24, right? So we're on the other end of it, you know? Um, but one of the, one of the things that I took the greatest pride in was raising those children, you know, and, and being an active, active in their lives and being an active dad and being somebody who was, you know, yeah, I was one of their biggest cheerleaders, but I wasn't their friend either. Right. I was their dad, right? And I told them, I said, look, you may not like me right now. You may not like what I'm doing or the decisions I'm making, but I, God made it this way. I'm preparing you to go out into that big, beautiful world and I will not have you be a burden. You will go out into that big, beautiful world and you'll add to it, right? You'll be a leader. That's awesome, man. I'm so I'm so excited to hear you say that because we need more dads like you in this world. We really do. Well, yeah. And, and, and that's even a whole other thing, right? Like the world doesn't need another sermon. The world needs more examples. Right. And that that's, that's what people should be rising to, right? Yeah. Whether it's in business or at home or whatever it is, but we all need to have the obligation to be better, right? To show up, right. to, to be there. And, and I think a lot of people spend too much time concerned that they're in the wrong job or I haven't found my purpose or I'm not happy with, my relationship. Well, it's like, well, guess what? All of those things you have control over, right. literally every single part of that you have control over. And until you take accountability for every area in your life, you're, 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 you're not allowing yourself the power to change it. I totally so, agree. 
They call it practicing the gospel, preaching the gospel without talking. Interesting. Right? Oh, I like that. You're doing it through your actions, but you're showing people this is the way you need to be a dad. This is the way you need to be a leader. This is the way you need to run a household, that kind of thing. You with me? And yep. that's super, super important. I'm so excited that you're that you're the dad that you are, man. We need more, <laughs> we need more guys like you, dude. Um, so all right. So so you so you start the company, you go to work for the for the advertising agent or the the marketing company and dig, digital marketing, right? Yep. Okay. And you become a partner. How does that evolve? So you go to work for them. You've yep. got the one client, you go to work for them and you, and you grow the company obviously and do well. And then at some point you have a conversation with your now partner about becoming a partner. How did that evolve? Walk us through that. Sure. So really what happened there is actually is how Lizolo got introduced. Right. So we're working in this ad agency, I, or I'm working there with the owner. Um, it's an ad agency, so we're running YouTube ads for webinar funnels. And, and a lot of big names, like that's, you know, where we got the opportunity to work with Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone and all that through this agency. Now, as this was going on, um, this is when I got introduced to this whole wholesaling world and real estate oh. investors. And I had no idea what you guys were. I thought you were all realtors. <laughs> uh, no idea. So I'm talking to Kyle, who's my now partner, who's the owner yeah. of AdLeg. Uh, I believe at the time I was a director of operations. And so anyways, we have a friend who's in the industry and he's explaining it to us. And we're like, no, we should try this because yeah. nobody's on YouTube doing this. We're really yep. good at YouTube, turns out. Yep. So we should see if we can generate these leads. And so we did that. And I, I'll spare some of that story. Anybody who's been on any one of my webinars knows that story now, but by now. But um, we start generating leads, starts going really well. So we know that there's a thing here. There's a lot of people that want to buy these leads. So we knew we had to turn this into a, a business. So what Kyle and I did at that point was go, listen, let's go into business together on this. Let's keep it separate from ad leg because it's a different business model. It's a different yeah. everything. I we don't want to distract. We're, 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 we know very well to stay in our own lane and keep our business. So we have ad leg. It's doing well. We've got management team. We've got all that kind of stuff. It's doing its thing. Now let's start ad leg. Right. And so, or sorry, now let's start Leeds Olo. Leeds Olo, yeah. And so that's what we did. Um, so now basically we had two companies that we were running. Mm -hmm. um, and basically what happened was it just kind of became easier if we we're partners in both. Right. So Kyle and I worked out an, an equity deal between the two of us um, that I basically paid ad leg for a piece of piece of uh, equity in that. So, so gotcha. that's how we have both. Okay. So it's kind of a convoluted way and not really good answers to why I have equity in AdLeg other than we were business partners. So we wanted to make sure that we were business partners across the board. Uh, well, I like how you kind of separated it, right? So you got specialties mm -hmm. in each in each area. And, well, and uh, I think that's important for anybody too. Like this is, this is, I've been on the soapbox for so long, but people try to spend way too much time figuring out everything. Right. And I, I'm guilty for this as well, but like, you don't make money being good at everything. You right. get you make money by being great at one thing. Right. And you know, Alex Hermosi is a, I'm a big fan of. He just came out with a video not too long ago about how to make more money you don't know what to do with, right. um, or how to make so much money you don't know what to do with it. And the whole it was like an hour and a half keynote, and the whole keynote is basically just him saying, "Stop, stop looking around at all the shiny objects. Right. Focus right. on one thing and become great at it." 
Right. And then and 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 that's it. That's all that matters. So that's what we did with Lead Zolo and Adelaide was we were trying to get great at both things. Adelaide was great at what it was. We just let that spin, made sure we had a great management team. And then that's what we're doing the exact same with Lead Zolo. Right. So what we're really, really good at is building and structuring agencies. Yeah. So that's kind of that's our genius. Yeah. Right. And so then that. we hire hire geniuses within those agencies to kind of run those agencies. Right. Obviously, we 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 play a part um as it grows. But but what we're not doing is diversifying. We are really staying in our lanes. Right. And that's what more people need to do. So with Alex Hermosi's whole presentation, like I was saying with the keynote and like stop being distracted, a part of that was he brought up the Inc. 500. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the people on the Inc. 500, mm -hmm. it's like, it doesn't say industry. Oh, I'm in um youtube ads for for right. yeah webinar right. files. plus i'm in really like 17 different things right yeah. right it's right. never that it's right. sally smith roofing right been in it for 75 years that's right that's how she got to the inc 500 now they're on their Next third generation of ownership yeah exactly right right exactly 100 yeah. percent. and that is the trend and like it's not a one-off it's not anecdotal i challenge anybody listening to this podcast to so go look it up you go yeah. look at it it, it is it is complete success equals times uh sorry success equals time times focus that's Absolutely. it the I agree. longer you can focus on any one good one thing the better you're going to become at it the more successful you're going to be at it so yeah. when people are talking about different businesses and jumping around or even within your own business and and uh, you know try to stay away from talking about too much shop here but like within your own business become a great salesperson Mm -hmm. Right. Don't try and become a great marketer, plus a great salesperson, plus great at dispo, plus great at managing people, plus good being a CFO and a good bookkeeper, plus this. Guess what? Yeah. You're going to wake up on a Tuesday and go, I don't want to go to work today. Right. Because you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be overwhelmed and you're spending none of your time in your circle of genius. I totally agree. What do you do first? What do you do second? What do you do third, right? If you're focused and you stay focused, it's like what Steve Jobs said, right? Steve Jobs said, look, the thing I'm the most proud of is all the stuff we'd said no to. Absolutely. Right? It's not, Absolutely. right? And, and he basically, when he went back in and took over Apple, I love that story, right? Yeah. He got rid of a ton of the stuff they were working on because they were working on stuff that, I mean, just too many things. Yeah. Okay. And he brings them in and he refocuses them and he goes, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do these few things. This is it. This is, and we're going to do this exceptionally. Right. And that's exactly what that list says. If you look at Inc. 500, that's exactly what that list says. Yep. Right. Exactly. What it so, says. yeah, I mean, it's dude, I totally agree. It's, it's what you focus on and the drive and the, and the passion you bring to it. And it's doing it every day. It's every day, day after day, bringing it. Carrying water and chopping wood. Yeah. That's the part nobody wants to talk about. Everybody wants the, the new workout plan, the new diet, the new this, the new that. Well, talk to me on day 70. Yeah. Like that's that's the difference. Well, the people who, who... we were just having this conversation the other day, me and some, some business owners, right, that are friends of mine. And one of the things that we were talking about was everything is about a hack. Everything's yes. about an easy way out. Everything's about this. Everything's about, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. The real secret, like they literally were talking to me about back when I was in the mortgage business. Okay. And you don't know about all this, but I got turned down for the first home loan I ever applied for. And the guy wouldn't help me turn a no into a yes. So I got my real estate license, got in the mortgage business. 
and I have now done tens of thousands of home loans in my career and and none of them got turned down right they're all they're all approved all that and I did loans that eight other lenders turned down and I got them approved right so so it's a big that's a big pride thing with me okay but one of the things that we talked about specifically was this is when you're when you're dealing when you're working something and you're working it every single day I used to be the top producer in my office by 70% okay and I and when I made that decision, when Michael was born and I made that decision about paring back and not going into the office, here's the deal. I spent so much time, probably four hours a day with, hey, Mike, you got a minute? Hey, Mike, you got a minute? Here's the thing. They absolutely were convinced. Those people were convinced that there was some secret that I knew that yeah. nobody else knew. Here's the secret, Drew. Work your ever-loving freaking tail off. That's the secret. Yep. Just like you're saying, the secret is specialize, focus, and go for it. That's it. Pin your ears back, baby. That's the deal, yep. right? Yeah, and know and know that the reps start when you don't want to be doing when you get bored. Yeah, like that's when the reps start. People think yeah. like, oh, I'm going to be a wholesaler, right? And so then they go buy a course and they watch a course and they go watch some YouTube videos and watch some people doing some one call closes on closer Olympics. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. But now, now actually go make 3000 cold. Right. Well, right? here's like, the thing. The guys have to do the guys that are the champions in the closer Olympics. Okay. And by the way, I love that part of your webinar too. How many millions of calls have they made? How many millions of objections have they overcome? Right. How many people have they talked to where when they were on stage making those closings, they were closing those people and they were similar to the one they just done three months ago or the one they did six months ago or whatever. You with me? It's all about, you got to bring it every day. You just got to bring it, you know, and it's who you become, right? It's who you become. Takes 20 years to become an overnight success. That's it. That's it. Right. I spent 31 years becoming an overnight success, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Lee Zolo is amazing, by the way. And here's my shameless plug. Everybody who wants to be in wholesaling should be working with you guys, hands down. I'm one of your happiest customers and one of your biggest fans. So there's your there's your commercial, okay? Well, I appreciate that. Right? You're you're the man, dude. You really are. So so is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Anything you're working on? Anything you want to you want to cover? No, not specifically. Just very excited. Um, I'll throw out I'll throw out a little bit of information from this side of things in okay. in hopes to inspire people to specialize and not get distracted with this stuff and get too far into it. I love so it. I'll tell you I'll tell you a bit of marketing data to say that leave leave the marketing data up to the marketing specialists. Right. Um, but yeah, so we we've been doing some uh, analysis lately and finding some really interesting things. So we're really really excited and really passionate about delivering a good product. Right. Um, and, you know, I know that that can be hard because I know people get leads sometimes that like they couldn't get a hold of somebody or people just look at lead providers as like, oh, yeah, all they're doing is like marking up leads and selling them to us for more than they pay for them. And like, yes, that's true. But there's a lot of things that go into it. Right. So, for example, we just ran an analysis on uh, a few million dollars worth of sold properties from leads that we provided. And what we were trying to do was find out what are the most valuable segments in here. Now, it goes without saying, obviously, motivation-wise, the highest closing leads that we produce come with a motivation of tired landlord. Not too surprising. Most people kind of know that. 
Um, the second most surprising is uh, tenant occupied and not occupied occupancy are mm -hmm. massively outweigh owner occupied in terms of conversions. Right. Interesting. So what does that mean? Well, if you're running ads yourself, it doesn't really mean anything other than, oh, I want more of those. There's no real way of generating more of those in a general ad campaign. Right. Now, luckily for us, we have the opportunity of being able to sell leads nationwide because we have buyers everywhere. So what we're able to do is look at that and go, okay, so how do we get more landlords? Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out there's about 12 publications that, that are like magazine publications that are just for landlords mm -hmm. and how to be a landlord and whatever that might be. Turns out these publications have hundreds of thousands of purchasers and viewers. So what we're able to do is now go buy spots in these magazines and ads and stuff to bring in more landlords who are in distressed situations looking to sell their properties. So what we're able to do is dramatically increase the quality of our product by knowing which segments, by getting creative in how we're doing our marketing. I'll tell you right now, there's no other wholesaler who's buying up landlord magazines to put in ads to sell their properties. Guaranteed. 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 Right? What we can also do is I'm working with Robert from InvestorLift right now. We're doing a big analysis for specific counties. What mm -hmm. counties have the highest um, assignment fees? What counties have the highest churn? And then what we're able to do is we can go to local television stations mm -hmm. and we can negotiate deals with local television stations because we get to do it on a national level. Right. And so what we're able to do is basically place these TV ads in areas where we know the leads are hot, 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 hot. Again, mm -hmm. increasing the, the quality of product that we're selling, but we're able to do it because we're essentially crowdfunding it. All, all these wholesalers are here and we're able to do this. So we're able to keep looking for, for uh, other segments such as that. Um, things that we can learning pretty good, like foreclosure, obviously it's a high motivation signal. There's a massively high cash conversion cycle. Yeah. So to say that it's actually one of the lower closing, like contract to sign ratio. Mm -hmm. So I know it's very tempting when you get into this industry to want to look for foreclosures because they're highly motivated people. Right. Guess what? Title issues, 80% of title issues are with foreclosed or pre-foreclosure and foreclosure leads. Right. Thus, you might get a quick dopamine hit when somebody signs a contract, but if you can't do anything with that contract, what good is it? Exactly. So not to say that we're getting away from foreclosures, but we're spending a lot less money targeting foreclosure keywords and a lot more money targeting other types of keywords, uh, like people who have inherited a property, another right. very high close contract ratio. Yeah, so there's less hair on those deals, basically, is what right. you're saying, and it's, and it's and it's easier to get them closed. So yeah. do you mind if I do you mind if I throw something out? Sure. So our very first interview for my young podcast, as you know, it's we're all of three weeks old. Uh, but our very first interview was with a, a good friend of mine who's one of the top economists in the nation, real estate economist. Okay. And his name's Alan Nevin. And if you ever get a chance, in fact, if you were here, I'd give you a copy of it as my gift. Um, I've given out more than a hundred of them. Um, it's a book called The Great Divide, The Great Divide, and it was and it was published in 2017. You can get it on Amazon. And in that book, he talks about we're in the midst of the single greatest transfer of wealth in our nation's history. There's some 72 trillion dollars worth of real estate, or pardon me, wealth being transferred from baby boomers to their millennial kids and grandkids. 90% of it is real estate and the millennials don't want it. They literally don't want it because they have PTSD 
from when they were kids, the Great Recession hit, and they watched all the people around them that were close to them, that they loved, they watched them lose their houses, okay? So we're literally, Drew, we're literally right now, I've secured my ghostwriter, and we're starting a book on home ownership where we're taking the case directly to millennials on why the American dream needs to be home ownership again. We start writing it officially January of 2024. Amazing. Okay? So we're taking the case to them. So the reason why we're seeing more wholesale deals, the reason why we're seeing more investor deals is because for the first time in our history, real estate has become disposable. Interesting. Okay. So this is a book that I would highly recommend. By the way, I, I told you I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He has a new book coming out called The Next Half Century, and it'll be available in October. I would highly recommend that one too right? Alan is a very, very smart guy. Alan Nevin is his name, N-E-V-I-N. Incredibly smart guy. He also talks about demographics and talks about this area called the gold zone, which are the southern states of the U.S. that, that the U.S. population is actually migrating to. So over the years, and this is according to the federal government, the people are migrating to these states, right, from the, from the northern states. So just, just something to think about in terms of research. I didn't see it on your shelf behind you, so that's why I'm mentioning it. No, I just and looked it up, was, though. I'll be buying it. That's Like sure. I said, if you were here, I'd be giving you a copy because I actually have an extra copy. Uh, but I've given out like 100 of them, right? Um, and I'm still giving them out to people that I, that I, that I love and I, and I care about. Um, so anyway, just something to think about. Um, but this guy's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And... And we're, that's literally what's happening right now. That's where the trend is headed, is that $72 trillion of, of wealth transfer. Wow. It's unbelievable, wow. dude. It's unbelievable. It is. That's exciting. Well, it's exciting to be in our seats. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Well, listen, Drew, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This was awesome. I am so pumped up. I probably won't sleep tonight. <laughs> you are you are so motivating and so inspiring, man. I really, awesome. really appreciate you being on. I know our listeners are going to be incredibly moved by you. Um, and thanks for being a dad, man. Thanks for being so passionate wow. about being a father. Well, thanks, Mike. I, I really appreciate that. That's awesome. Uh, it's, it's totally it. my pleasure to be here, man. Thanks so much. Cool. Take care. Have a good day today. You See too. You. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.